Hi, I'm Nana. And I'm Bonquillo, and this is African.American. This is a show where we take a closer look at a subset of the African diaspora, the children of African immigrants growing up in America. We call ourselves African.Americans out of respect for the fact that the hyphen between the two words denotes a particular community, history, and culture. This show is going to take a look at how they overlap, intersect, and at times don't touch at all. So, why the show and why now? This show was born from several WhatsApp conversations about our experiences in the United States. Most are aware that conversations about blackness aren't as nuanced as they should or could be. We want to change that a little and create a space where African.Americans can complicate the landscape. We plan to talk about a variety of issues on this podcast, from serious themes to more jovial ones and everything in between. Today's theme is building up our communities. How are we similar? So we want to start each sh- show with a segment we're calling Konkonsa, or gossip. Mm. Tree. 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 I'm getting Girl, better. Girl, why we got... Mm. One day I will be able to pronounce this correctly. <laughs> I just need a better teacher, but you know, whatever. Oh, really? <clears throat> you blame it on me. Okay. I mean, I already speak two other uh, languages, so... Monkey uh, King, move on, girl. Move on. It's okay. <clears throat> <clears throat> the teacher, not the student. It's the teacher, not the student. It's weird. But anyway, Konkonsa is where we take something from African or African.American news and discuss it. And today we're going to talk about code switching. So Britannica.com defines code switching as a process of shifting from one linguistic code, a language or dialect, to another, depending on the social context or conversational setting. So for example, someone speaking English at school, but then when they go home, they speak Spanish, or in the case of African, oh, I guess unless you're from like Equatorial Guinea, but for other African, not Americans, you know, speaking English and then going home speaking French or you're one of your native languages. Mm-hmm. Um, so NPR put an article out a few years back, several mm-hmm. years back, like 2013, and it was called Five Reasons Why People Code Switch. Mm-hmm. And they are, number one, our lizard brains take over. The most common examples of code switching were completely like inadvertent. Um, folks would slip into a different language or accent without even realizing it or intending to do it. Mm-hmm. So, Nana, does this experience resonate with you? Ah, uh, yes. I mean, it, it depends on where I am. I think depending on depending on whether or not I'm at work, I'm I'm with friends, I'm at home. I sound a little different. Um, <laughs> I speak differently. Even if I'm speaking English, the English sounds different. So which 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 Nana are you now? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I try I, I try to be the the proper Nana. What's pro- pro- okay. The quote unquote proper Nana on, on on the podcast where where I try to speak you know the kind of traditional quote unquote traditional um, Queen's English Queen's proper English, but you know depending on depending on you know who I'm talking to, I'll slip into um, into different. Uh, Different patterns of speech, I guess, or different voices. I, I don't even know how to describe it. Sometimes, for example, when I'm when I'm with Africans, West Africans particularly, um, Ghanaians, not even pigeon. I my voice um, goes higher, gets deeper. I should say. So you talk like um, this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, I get and it. I, I mean, sometimes I do it to kind of, you know, whether or not it's subconscious or um, or consciously, you do it to kind of, you know, ingratiate yourself yourself with others. Hey, hey, hey! So, you don't get ahead. There are other, like, four other reasons. <laughs> well, so I, I mean, it, it does happen sometimes. A lot of times, I don't think I do it consciously. Um, but folks will be like, "Oh, when you're like, for example, when you're when you're with you know friends of from from other other countries, um, countries they'll be like, oh, wow, when you were speaking to this person, your English kind of changed.' I'm yeah. like, I, no, it didn't. I've definitely but, hey. had that too. Like, I've had friends. Um, I got a friend who was well, she code switched as well. She was talking to her grandmother. She's from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been friends for a long time, and she called her grandmother to say happy birthday, and I didn't understand the conversation, mm-hmm. and they were speaking English. So it was very strange. I was like, what was that? She probably, to her, she probably thought it was the same, 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 same pattern, same way of speech. It was so interesting. Yeah. I was like, whoa, you, when you speak to your grandma, it's completely different. And she always gets on me because she says, I say, she claims that's how I sound when I speak to my mom. Like, whatever. 
I sound oh the same, but yes, probably code switch as well. So well, the, number, <laughs> the number two thing is uh, we want to fit in. So they uh, say very yeah. often people code yeah. switch both consciously and unconsciously to act or talk more like those around them. Mm. Tell the truth. Is this you too? I mean, I do do it. I'm not going to lie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and especially when I'm in the work environment, when, when, when I'm around. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Around predominantly white or non-black <laughs> folks. I will. Um, I do do that. And it's funny because a few years ago, um, I was actually with a colleague of mine, work situation. Mm-hmm. We went to um, interview, um, we're doing some research, and so, so we're interviewing some folks. And we went down to interview um, one, one particular lady. And of course, I, I was speaking my quote-unquote proper Queen's English. And this woman, African-American woman, was like, I don't know if she was trying to test me, test my blackness, what it was. But as, we, as soon as we walk into the room, we introduce ourselves, we sit down, and she's like, oh, what kind of hair am I wearing? <laughs> and so um, so what kind of hair is she wearing? And so I'm like, uh, what is, that is this mean? some sort of trip, trip question? Like, I'm sitting there thinking to myself. Are you supposed to say Brazilian? Are you supposed to say... No, so I was like, oh, those are locks in your hair. And she was like, yeah, my sister, we don't dread for nothing. We don't dread for nothing. And right then and there, the bond was solidified. <laughs> <laughs> and my colleague, it's funny, when we walked down, my colleague was like, oh, wow, you did very well there. And it was as if I even thought about it. I, she asked, I said it, and then... I didn't think a, of the response. Is, you know that song, you don't have to dread to be arrested. <laughs> and ever since then, it was like, <laughs> you call her, she'll pick up. I mean, it, wasn't an, it wasn't an issue. So it's, it, it's a way to kind of, you know, connect, uh, connect yeah. with folks. I think for me, um, as I've intimated previously, I speak a few, I don't want to say I speak a few languages, three, right? <laughs> <laughs> so English, well, three and a half. English, and then I've learned Spanish and Arabic like formally through mm. like university mm. and of course you code switch I feel like I do that consciously trying to fit in because like if you are in a certain space you want to you want people to know that you are like them or yeah. you understand this thing or sometimes for me it's like I just want people to know so they don't like I, because I don't look a certain way so <laughs> Um, so that they don't judge you. Well, no, not so, 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 so that they don't say things in my presence that uh, I should. So, like, gotcha. I had, uh, I remember being in a cab in D.C., um, and whatever it is with me, I just, like, I always get either the <laughs> Ethiopian cab driver or the Arab cab driver. Always, 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 always. <laughs> and the Ethiopian ones are tend to be cool because they'll just look at me as soon as I get in, they're like, you from Africa, right? And then and they then just start going You off. just start going in. <laughs> and then with the Arab cab drivers, it's a, it's a little different because I don't look like someone who speaks Arabic and Arabic mm-hmm. isn't like a language that you'd be like oh it's easy to learn and everybody knows it so they're about surprised do you yeah. actually tell them or do they well, it depends on the person and whether I feel like having a conversation I definitely mm-hmm. had one with one dude and he was like basically at the end like so because you know the conversation it got to places where I was like look I'm not trying you're not no we're not <laughs> looking for a love connection and at the end he was like <laughs> it was Egyptian it was a very Egyptian way he was like so do you have like another, like a sister or aunt who looks <laughs> like you? Who speaks, who speaks so <laughs> looks like you? And I was like, no, I'm the only woman in my entire family. Okay. <laughs> the lies. Um, but this Yemeni cab driver, I remember him because he was having a conversation with his wife on the phone. Mm. And it was like, you were really having this very intimate convo. He didn't realize that you could be understanding. He didn't know I could speak Arabic and he was getting, he said something to her about like, he's like, I don't mind if you go outside the house if you have to go like drop off the kid or take him to school, but like, I don't want you, it was just weird. It was also like, dude, like I don't, you and this like the patriarchy thing going on here. (laughs) So when he finished, I was just like, I asked him, I was like very respectful, hey mister, where are you from? And he was like, what? And I said it again in Arabic. (laughs) Like, how did you think I'm in? And he was like, ah. And it, so it was a weird, <laughs> I don't know if that was code switching, but yeah. That that's, was that's me funny. trying to fit. And he was like, wait, are you Sudanese? What's up? You know, I, I get that a yeah. lot too. I'd be like, oh, who's your father? I can see that. I'm like, who's my father? I'm like, but he's not, who's Arab? He's not Arab. Stop trying to like find the connection. It's called, I learned Arabic in school. I swear to you. So, uh, reason number three is we want to get some. 
A lot of folks code switch, not just to fit in, but to actively ingratiate themselves to others. We cannot tell how many dozens of stories we got from people. This is from the NPR article Mm. who work in service industries who said that a Southern accent is a surefire way to get better tips and more sympathetic customers. Yes. Apparently, everyone who works in restaurants picks up y'all immediately upon arriving at their job. If you can pull off the that right accent. That is interesting. I wonder if it works on me. If you can pull it in the right context, <laughs> you can get all kinds of favorites. The thing is, though, what I've noticed is it's not a code switching thing. We're from Maryland and people from Maryland That's say true, y'all. y'all. So, so people yeah. always find that. They'll be like, oh, I knew you were That's Southern. That's very true. Yeah, people like, I knew you were Southern because you said y'all. I feel like, I don't even I don't think, think about yeah. it. That's what we... I guess that isn't code switching because I'm not using it in all in all the important spaces. But if people think I'm nicer mm-hmm. because I say y'all, mm-hmm. then I am sort of like inadvertently switching codes. Yeah. I was reading about an African-American, a black linguist who kind of sought to to test how discrimination happens when people are using different, um, are switching or using different dialects. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he called, I think it was California, and he called a bunch of landlords across the state to inquire about housing opportunities. And <laughs> you say that you like, know you, know what what happened. <laughs> you know what I don't even need to know the results of the study. <laughs> I know so what happened. He, so he used, quote unquote, African-American vernacular um, in certain instances, quote unquote, Chicano English, quote unquote, standard and American got the English. Apartment. Of course, the standard American of English speaker. <laughs> and he found that like in the predominantly white areas, that's what they prefer, the standard American of English. Course. And of course, they show the apartments to him. Um, and so kind of code switching does provide you with access. Well, I mean, it provides you with access, but like at the same time, you're going to have to show up. My black ass is going to have to show up eventually. Girl, that happened to me, though. That's happened to me in interviews as well, especially, again, you know, like speaking Arabic, sometimes they expect like, oh my God. Um, you know, this like Middle East mystique to show up. And Middle like, East mystique. I mean, I have definitely been in interviews where you've seen their faces drop. Like they get up and they are like, I'm here. And they come out and they're looking for, for everybody but you. I'm here for anybody but you. Yeah. It is I, yes, the girl who spoke Arabic to you on the phone. Um, so that <laughs> that funny. can be that can be a bit tough. I mean, I'm also someone who like doesn't put her full first name on her mm, resume and right, stuff yeah. because of these same kinds of things. And it's like whether you're African or yeah. African American, it just or African daughter, it it shouldn't be happening. But yeah, we do it. We want to get something. I had a friend actually who um, did that as well. For a jo- she showed up for a job interview and they just didn't know she was black. It's funny. I my, I think a lot of people, and I've gotten this a lot, and I think traveling around, I've seen where people are getting it from. A lot of people see my last name and they, they think, you know, Thai. Something. Yeah. But they just, they're, they're really doing the most, though. <laughs> they're not. Girl, some people have come to my desk at work and asked me that. Are you and, Thai? Yeah. Okay, after seeing you. <laughs> and, then, and so one guy did. And I looked after I looked straight you? in the eye, him in the eye, and I was like, yeah, my great grandfather, that's what we get in there. And he believed me. Uh, anyway. People do that with me, too, because they'll be like, especially with the Arabic thing, they'll be like, Sierra Leone. Oh, Syria? Syria? Have you seen Syrians? <laughs> Have you seen Syrians? How many Syrians are there that look like me? I mean, I think people are just willing to believe anything. I just think, look, Arab world is only about three, four places. (laughs) Syria is not one of the top. Syria is not one of the top most likely places. I can say I'm. I can say I was Sudanese, the number one thing that people assume. Uh, Southern Egyptian. Whatever. I don't know. I've been to Egypt and people in Egypt when I, I lived in um, Alexandria and they'd be like, oh, you girls, you go down south. Everybody is going to like look like you. I was so excited to go. I was waiting for the color gradient to change drastically. And I got down. I was like, these people brown. These people ain't black. <laughs> They're not, you know, it was not, I mean, people are, there are black yeah. Egyptians or people who are dark. Africans, and of course, there are Nubians as well. Who and I did get confused for that, but it's just kind of interesting. Um, so the number four reason mm-hmm. is we want to say something in secret, and I know I've definitely oh, done that. Oh, I, I do that. A oh lot. yes, all the time. <laughs> and I think that's when we bring it back to this show, right? African dot American. How many times have you been in public and oh like said God. something to your family? Yeah. In your language. And sometimes you have to be careful because a lot of times people... That is the mm, thing. Mm, that is... You don't know, America, you don't, you don't know what kind of is, white man speaks your language. It's America. Somebody. It's the D.C. area. Mm. You cannot assume. Again, mm. with me and the Arabic, right? Like that Yemeni cab driver will probably never just speak Arabic to mm. his wife again because looks can be deceiving. Mm-hmm. But I do it all the time. 
I used to do it a lot when when it first started working, and we had this system, this chat system, Mm -hmm. and I knew they were monitoring it. And so (laughs) there were some other Ghanaians in the organization. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking, you just mix it up so that people wouldn't know what you're talking about. Like I'm I'm sick and tired. Oh yeah. (laughs) Blah 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 blah. (laughs) I've definitely done that with. I remember with Arab. So when I lived in Egypt, I had a friend who was Portuguese. Mm. Uh, her mom, her parents were from Portugal. So we would, sp- I would speak Spanish, and she would reply in Portuguese so that people wouldn't understand what we were saying. I've done that. Um, I've been in workplaces where, like, me and another friend spoke Arabic, so we would get nicknames for everyone that we wouldn't talk, about. talk about. So Their wrong. nickname would be in Arabic. So we'd be like, oh, Ronald, you know, is doing this, this, and this, and people would be like, that's, what? That's messed up. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> It's called, this is a private conversation. And this is an open office space. Oh, my God. Um, so I've definitely done that. I've done it in school Aww. as well. I had a, a one of my best friends, actually, is Lebanese, but mm. from Lebanese descent, but Sierra Leonean. Mm. So um, we did an Arabic program together. And, like, everybody speaks Arabic. But we would speak Creole, which is like a, pigeon, mm. a, a Sierra Leonean pidgin mm. English. And it's just really funny to me that people are in a program... We're learning Arabic, and they can't understand English with an African accent, which is what Creole sounds like to me. So we would just kind of... Most of the time, we weren't even talking about people. It just felt more comfortable. It it is, your comfort level, yeah. 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 And to to have somebody to to kind of talk to you and to talk handily to without people feeling like people are listening. Well, I think the code switch piece too, right? Because when you see somebody, you know, like sometimes she was my language partner. So she speaks, she grew Mm. up speaking Arabic at home. So she was like... In the program, but also my language partner. And sometimes she'd want to tell me something like more personal. She's like, oh, let me just explain it to you in Creole. And I'd be like, oh, uh, uh, honey, we pay tuition for the Arabic program. <laughs> <laughs> so you better speak Arabic I, to me. I, I realize that it's easier for you to speak Creole, but that's that's not what we're about today. Um, and then like the number five or uh, number one depending on how you think about it Mm. um, is that it helps us convey a thought I think this one is really Mm. interesting Mm -hmm. certain conflicts don't come across as effectively Mm -hmm. in one Mm -hmm. language over the other and so Mm -hmm. people use language or colloquialisms Mm -hmm. to express particular ideas Mm -hmm. I think that 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 happens all the time yeah Um, I think yeah yeah, like even for English right the, the most one of the most common ones is schadenfreude, right? Because we don't have that concept mm-hmm. in English. We have an Arabic, though. I actually learned schadenfreude because of the Arabic verb. Because when the verb came up, I was like, I really don't understand. I was like, I don't... What? Like, the act of, like, being... The act of, like, be enjoying that someone else is, like, suffering. I mean, it was just kind of a weird... It's not, right? Like, rubbing someone's nose in it. It was just like, oh, I was like, oh, man, I wish we did have a word like this in English. Why is this getting you excited? No, (laughs) but no. Okay. I'm just kidding. We all know that things that are language-related gets Bonkyo excited. So stop. What about things... you relax. Relax. Are there words in... She. Girl, stop trying. Just stop trying. And just, just relax. <laughs> you should see her lips moving here. I'm girl. trying so hard. Girl, I'm stop. So hard. <laughs> but are there words or concepts in she in your native tongue um, that don't exist in English that you? Uh, it's funny. The first thing that came to mind was an insult. <laughs> <laughs> Those are always interesting in other languages as well. <laughs> like like the word... Even Spanish, right? Yeah. La puta madre que te parió. Like, damn. Like, the, the word quasia. Quasia. Girl, look it up in the Urban Dictionary, because recently I used it on a friend. And, and she, she knew looked it? it up, and she was like, why did you just call me, why did you really just call me uh, uh, an idiot? But it, it's more potent in the, in the Ghanaian language than it is uh. as described. It's like kind of a fool, an idiot. Um, but when you use, it's like one of our stronger insults. It's not just, a, yeah. I mean, I use it kind of a. I'm, I don't use it as a, like a strong insult. It's just like no, you're such a fool, Kwasia. But you have to really get under my skin for me to do that. I, I so use it with you, friends. Could you use it to your with your parents? Oh no. No, no, that is a boo. Okay. <laughs> so it's not a tree word I should be memorizing. It's not a tree word you should be memorizing. I use it with my siblings, my 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 friends. It's like jokingly in a joking way. But when somebody tells you, Kwasia, it depends on how. Ooh, but you can even tell from the way it's pronounced that it's probably a little tough. 
<laughs> we don't have that's a strong insult I'm it's funny to... that an insult came to mind first i'm trying to think about words in like syrian languages i guess we have stuff like you guys have everybody has jaga jaga what's jaga jaga you don't know jaga jaga mm-hmm. i've seen it in nigerian context there's a song actually that says nigeria jaga jaga it's an old song jaga jaga means it's it's not together mm-hmm. like you can say your hair is jaga jaga oh. something else is jaga. we do we do have it like messed say, up yeah, like crazy disorganized yeah. but it's it's I think sometimes some of these words, it's not so much the denotation, but the connotation, right? The extra, the spaces where you can use it or not use it. Exactly. That make it like, whoa, we don't have that equivalent. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, insults are yeah. definitely like that. Oh, in Arabic. Arabic's an African language. We can use it. Um, uh, Someone I learned. I Why does that me. sound like not an insult? <laughs> so it is an insult. It is literally like, may God destroy your home. Ooh. But you use it. But like it's just like when people why would you even insult someone? May God destroy you. No, own. but it's like more like an, it's just like more when people annoy you. Like if you annoyed me, I'd be like, yeah. or I'd be like, or some, if I'm driving, oh, is it just not translated? It's it doesn't it's not it as doesn't, strong, okay. right? Like the English translation is very strong, yeah, but it's just it's like not, the context is... that you use it. It's just like man, stop it, or like someone cuts you off when you're driving. But yeah, it can be. <laughs> But when you translate it, people are like, oh, my God. I did have a coworker who was like, oh, my God, girl, how you say that? <laughs> how you call that? It doesn't even that? sound like an insult. It sounds very nice and pleasant. Does it? So you, yes. Yeah. I, guess, I guess it's the way you're saying yeah, it. Kharab no. <laughs> sounds like something. The verb is like to mess. I guess to destroy, maybe. No, it's not to destroy, to mess up. I but wonder anyway. if somebody has put it put that on the Urban Dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> Very, very Arab, Arabic. I don't think so. Oh my god! I don't think that that would be like the thing. All right. So now we're going to switch gears and go to our next segment called the chat, where we get a little bit more real. Today's topic is fonio. Fonio is a grain in West Africa that could transform the world food game. It is also known in some parts as hungry rice, but from what I understand, not it's not a, a grain for folks who are hungry it's rather for special occasions for kings and queens traditionally anyway. traditionally yeah um there's a very informative i think let me put in a plug here um ted talk by chef pierre theme who talks about growing and producing fornio on a large scale you know in listening to his ted talk and one begs the question do we want fornio to turn into the next quinoa <laughs> what mm. are the positives what are the negatives to all of that mm-hmm yeah, um, I obviously listened to the TED Talk and I thought it was really interesting because I'd never heard of Fonio before. Mm. And then my mom was like, oh, yeah, we call it Funde. I was like, okay. Funde. Like, funde. <laughs> um, okay, thanks, mom, but we've never had it. Um, uh, I think it's. Has she had it before? Or she's eaten, she's it before. eaten it before. Again, my family has like Sierra Leone and like some, some Senegal connections mm. as well. So, like, um, and Fonio, at least the chef, Chef Tiem, is from Senegal and he was talking about. A particular region in Senegal, for the most part, where where it's grown, mm-hmm. um, it it excites me. I feel like he has a plan. He's not just like oh, you know, just he. It's somebody who's really thought about it. I mean, obviously, if he has. A, I mean, you yeah. have a real TED talk, yeah. a real TED talk, but yeah, <laughs> I feel like that gives him some credit. Although not all TED talks are good, um, but he's talked about the plan about like creating a factory mm-hmm. um, mass producing to it. mass produce yeah. it in a sustainable way. Um, he talks about the the reasonings behind it, giving people from that particular region of Senegal a reason to stay and mm-hmm. not try to immigrate illegally mm-hmm. um, to Europe and end up like dying in the Sahara Desert or, you know, unfortunately, it's the, you know, he didn't say this, but like slavery in Libya is a thing now mm-hmm. um, or dying on these pateras on these little mm-hmm. boats on the way to Spain. Um, so I'm hopeful for it. I, think I mean, that- <laughs> <laughs> but you don't so, agree. Uh, I, I don't completely agree because I've seen what, at least this summer, um, traveling through Peru, I, I, I saw what quinoa has become. I mean, quinoa is, beca- is this great, wonderful grain yeah. that we eat in the West, and it's an expensive grain. Is and it? I thought it's quinoa inexpensive. Is, quinoa, I consider quinoa more expensive than... Quinoa is more expensive okay, than rice. Okay, the thing is that I made a conscious decision to never eat quinoa, and the only ah. time I eat it... Okay, so I broke that. 
<laughs> in solidarity with the people of Latin America, of Peru, right? Is mm. where it's from. But yeah, um, there is this lovely quinoa with some beets and some white goat it's cheese. So good, it is good. <laughs> um, so that's the only time I eat quinoa. So I actually don't know how much it costs. Like mm. I don't, I don't know how to cook it. I don't know where you buy it. Like, Whole Foods, that's where I get it from. Whole food. Oh, you buy it from Whole Foods. I, I buy it from Whole Foods. You buy it you get from Whole Paycheck. I feel like you, you, you get, get it, it from Giant. You can get I it mean, from it's everywhere. So it's not expensive it's, then. Well, it's you're getting the box for like four dollars. The and small how much little can the box. box make? The box makes like what? Um, depending on how much you know of the grain you eat, like three, four servings. Like four, like. Standard servings or African servings? For standard servings. No. <laughs> right. And what we mean is that African servings tend to be a little more generous. Like, uh, you can't give an African a spoon I'll of say rice. like three, four, depending on the size of the, lo- the box, oh, too. Okay. I, I, it's an expensive grain. I consider it an expensive but grain. But it's super nutrient-rich, and it's, there's it's more super, bang for yeah, your buck yeah, nutrient-rise yeah, if you get yeah, it. Yeah, but the, the problem but the impact is, has been disastrous. the impact, I, I think, has been disastrous. And it was interesting because, um, so Bolivia, I believe it's, it's primarily produced, or it was in Bolivia and Peru. And the interesting thing is, although that's where it's it's grown, it's not part of the Peruvian diet. I didn't see that it was a huge part of the. Peruvian but it used diet. to be. It used, it used to, to be. be, but now it's become so expensive. But that I wonder if it's cost prohibitive for the, for for the that people, the right. people to be actually able to eat the grain. Well, don't um, you think that like having the quinoa example will enable Chef Tiem and all to those other about- to avoid it? Like, I mean, I how, it feels do, like how, how do you? How do you? A bunch of people who come in, came in and just like took it over, and the but people, how do you stop people from coming in and taking it over? You I mean, you create has, a system like, like what he said, right? Like he's talking uh, in the TED talk about having an African-owned factory, having a system set up. They already have a deal with Whole Foods, and I'm definitely going to go and try and check it out mm-hmm. and buy some and see what it tastes mm-hmm. like. They already have a deal with Whole Foods, Whole Foods that they're trying to fulfill. If I'm a farmer. And they're going to pay me living wages to grow Funde. I mean, sorry, I keep calling that cereal name, mm-hmm. but the Fonio. And um, then I'm going to stay on my land. The only but, people but, who but come in to, is someone who wants to come in and buy my land, and I give it to them, not really thinking about how I'm going to get money. But you, you have to control production. <laughs> because the more, the more you produce, mm-hmm. the, the, um, it drives down the prices because of excess supply. And it impacts a small traditional person, the small traditional farmer you're trying to help. Yeah, but this is also, I mean, this is like a you have, There that, are so many things that they have to control mm-hmm. that I, I just don't see it. Well, let's be positive. Let's not be Debbie Downers here. <laughs> I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. This is an amazing opportunity <laughs> to an, feed no, the world. No, it's an amazing opportunity to feed the world. But I know that if you bring it to the West because it's, you know, gluten-free, vegan, when people, more people find out about it, it's, there's going to be a high demand. Right. For this grain. And of course, because of that, these huge corporations will start to want to produce, go there, produce. But no problem. What we're going to stick with the Senegalese owned one. Well, I think that, like, there's also a limit as to how much they can do in this region. This is a grain that grows in, like, the Sahel of Africa. Well, mm. hmm, what they could do is, ooh, let's not put that out there, but what they could do is take it and start growing it in places where it's not naturally grown. And, I think and that, 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 is, that is what will happen. But where would you grow it? Like, I mean, California. Science. <laughs> wonders of science. Well, I mean, well, we have to do something. I think that, like... I mean, it's a great, it's a great idea. It's a great alternative. It's nutrient-rich. It's 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 a wonderful grain. I, I mean, I applaud him for what he's trying to do. But and <laughs> but what? But I I do wonder how successful this truly will be. I mean, and like, if it can work. But I mean, even with quinoa, like not everybody eats it, right? Oh, not everybody eats it. Not everybody eats it. Not everybody has access to it. So even though it's become a popular grain, mm-hmm. and of course it's become popular enough, unfortunately, to the point where the people who grew it to survive can no Mm -hmm. longer afford it. I think that, again, having that example is going to help the Fonio people, like, stay a step ahead. Mm -hmm. I think that also, I mean, it's never going to become replace rice in, like, Mm -hmm. China, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. unless, I I feel like unless Fonio replaces some, like, rice in China or, like, bread. Where's a a place where bread is, like, the thing? I don't know. Name a country. I don't know. Where's bread a thing? Or couscous in Morocco. And Moroccans stop eating couscous and they just a eat French. fonio. Um, French. Oh, you know, it's, it's not going to replace the baguette. People aren't going to be making fonio, you know, fonio baguettes. Mm. Um, 
more than they make the traditional ones. I think mm. that that's also something to keep in mind, right? Like even with the quinoa explosion, we just confirmed that like we don't eat it like or you do. But a lot of people do. A lot of people do, but like think about the sector section of society that does. Bougier. I don't think people it's bougier in people. <laughs> I don't think that people. <laughs> I don't think people. I don't think quinoa no, consumption is across at- all pieces of society. Girl, you buy it at Whole Foods. You bougie. You bougie. I said I sometimes buy it at Whole Foods. You bougie. It's also a giant. It's a giant, but I bet you I buy it where I can find it. It is available, but what I'm saying is that the number of people who eat quinoa is still smaller. Well, that's and true. Self- that's self- it's rights. a more self-selective yeah. community because yeah. it has to be people who know about it, people who have the money to pay the extra, like you said, it costs more for it. And so I think that like these basic staples are unfortunately like bleached flour. But yeah, I mean, I wish Fonio growers all the best of luck. And I, I, think I actually that it hope could... it thrives and I hope that it can, it can do what the chef wants it to do. But again, we have to put more, we have to... There has to be more thought that goes into it. Do you we think he's not? More... But you can't put everything wait, into wait. the fifteen-minute TED talk as well. But, uh, that's, I think that's, tr- that's there's that's a lot of people true. behind this. I'm that's sure they're true. thinking about that's it. Very... There, 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 there has to be a lot of controls around it. There well, has just, to be. I just think that you know we do have this. I mean, the theme is how are we similar, and mm-hmm. we do want to think about how things in our communities are mm-hmm. taken, exported. <laughs> and become this bigger thing and the people yeah. who originated it don't get to yeah. enjoy it's always, it. Yeah, it's always when, when the West adopts it. Uh, adopts it well, it's I would always, say even, know, when it's, even when it's not the West adoption, I think if we look at African-American community and like mm. rap music, are, is that the community well, that's the benefiting the most from it? We no. just think about any yeah. kind of cultural phenomenon, whether it's food yeah. or clothing yeah. or music. But yeah, that's very I got true. high hopes for Fonia. We have seen... The the well, I want you to try it first to see if you'll like it. I mean, why not? If it's oh, look, I'll eat any well, not anything, uh, but I'll eat almost anything with the right amount of spices on it. And I mean, like, I feel like it's legit. Some of these food's pretty good. Yeah. He said it had a nutty flavor. Yeah, I will. And it, it looked quite good. The um, I think the picture of the the, the sushi, the sushi, the phonio yeah, sushi. I don't yeah. know about that, but um, <laughs> I've also seen jollof rice sushi, and I'm not no, I'm sure jollof rice sushi. Yeah, wow. which actually doesn't sound bad, right? It sounds pretty. Actually, as it depends aside, on well, it's a, if, it's like, a, if it's a Ghanaian, if it's Ghanaian jollof rice, and okay, let's. Uh, I mean, not... that's gonna taste right. <laughs> but I don't know about the Nigerian, the Senegalese. They, uh. Okay, first, you, you see how disrespectful <laughs> this woman is. Disrespectful. I am not the being disrespectful. I'm telling the, are truth. the people who originated Just because somebody jollof, originated something doesn't which is mean true. that it's the best. The Senegalese originated, but it doesn't and mean that Sierra Leoneans perfected it. It is. Sierra Leoneans have perfected it. East West Sierra Leoneans the best. Ghanaian jollof. Yes, I have, and it'll do. You haven't had the right one. It will do in a pinch. We all we all have our taste. You come from Sierra Leone, so you probably like Sierra Leone. Yeah. So mm-hmm. how did we get from talking about Fonio I don't know how we came to Jollof Wars? Y- <laughs> how are we similar? Well, Every folks, African fights about l- l- Let's Jollof just rice. end it here. Bonquillo is doing too much. <laughs> so now we're going to the final segment of the show that we call Spotlight. It's where we bring on an African.American to talk about another new topic. And today we're going to be talking to our guest about how African.Americans are a bridge between the African and African-American communities. So, uh, first question, what's your name and where did you grow up? So, my name is Christiana and I grew up in Langley Park, Maryland. And uh, what country are you slash your parents from? My mother's Sierra Leonean and my father's Senegalese and my last name is Scottish. How's your last name Scottish? Or where did you get your last name from? A Scottish person. (laughs) Who's the Scottish person in your family? (laughs) Okay, can we just... Just Picking up on the way. Oh, 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 well, I mean, the understanding is that (laughs) (laughs) the understanding is that it's on my mother's side. So I'm assuming like a great grandfather. So how do you identify ethnically racially? Well, I think there are kind of layers to that because I identify as African-American or African, but then I have been perceived as different because of things I like and can relate to to other cultures. So sometimes I'm thought of being associated with being Afro-Latina. And oh, interesting. Yeah. Where does the Afro-Latina come from? Well, oh, Langley Park is a heavily populated Hispanic population. So, oh. like, uh, it's an area that has a lot of Hispanics. So, mm-hmm. growing up, I would listen to Spanish music and things like that. And then I speak Spanish. So, when I relate oh. to other Afro-Caribbean people, they're like, oh, okay, I would have thought you were from my country. You can notice her accent kind of changed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
all of a sudden she's a Dominican from mm-hmm. New York. But it's all good. Yeah, that's interesting. It's cool. So <laughs> growing up, did you what did you think did you think that being African and African American were two different things? Yes, definitely. Um, I think in school you get the whole understanding of why they are separate things, but then you so but but the whole point of school is to like kind of ignite curiosity and encourage dialogue, right? So I think growing up it was like, oh yeah, you know, slavery happened in the US and that's why people came over, but then there's like also de- developed into its own culture which is like being African or black, African American or black in the United States. Um, and so it was interesting for me as a first gen person because I would come home, get in an argument with my mother, and immediately, hey, don't think you're an American kid arguing with me. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then I go to school and I even have African kids who maybe are their first gen, but they like were born in Africa and came or mm-hmm. something, and they would be like, oh, I didn't even know you were African. And then chop it up with me about culture and stuff, you know? So, what do you. So what do you appreciate most about your African culture, your African identity? Well, multiple things. The culture, the language, food. What do you mean when I you think, say the culture? So when I say culture, I mean the music. And that, it's like a combination of music, language, even just gestures and things that I'm like, wow, it's interesting that we put it in this way. And I think also it's... The culture aspect, the fact that even when I talk to people who are Afro-Caribbean or Afro-Latino, like they have some of those things that we do in our culture and they Mm -hmm. do it in their own culture. And I love the Mm -hmm. fact that despite the whole, you know, slave trade and everything, those things were still preserved and carried with them. So you have an example you want to share? Um, Just like if I meet a like new, like if I meet somebody who's like Dominican or Puerto Rican, I'll be like, oh yeah, we got plantains. Remember, we're your ancestors. Like we brought that over and they'll (laughs) laugh, they'll laugh. And, or, or there was a time where I talked to this one guy who was Cuban and he used to like to sing traditional Cuban songs and um, he was like yeah we sing in Yoruba and I said Yoruba that's Yoruba from Nigeria wow I'm so amazed that like you have that preserved in your culture so and what do you what aspects do you appreciate the most about your African-American cultural identity um I think it also comes along with being in the U.S. in general there's a culture around individualism being accepting who you are and kind of being vocal about stuff and I don't I don't I think I feel like if it would have been different if I was like in Africa because I think that the norm is just that culture is is would be the culture so it's like you don't necessarily are like oh my gosh we're super proud to be African and we need to like say that out loud because everybody's you know proud just by living you know what I mean Mm -hmm. whereas in the U.S. it's like everybody's like harping on individualism and being different. Mm-hmm. And so you get that high, that highlight and spotlight to say, yes, I'm from Sierra Leone. Yes, I'm from Senegal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you get that, that, that platform to do that. And that's what I think I like about um, being African-American in the U.S. So you like you what you like about being African American is that like it's enables you to still be African at the same time. Exactly. I kind of hear that yeah. coming through. I can be African. <clears throat> I can also, it's like I can, the fact that the U.S. is so diverse and I can mingle with different people, I can still be myself and bring that piece to bring peace mm-hmm. to the table as we talk, but then also relate to other people who have connections to my ancestors, you know? Got you. Yeah. And how have you helped African-American friends and colleagues better understand certain aspects of African culture? And how have you done the same for your fam- your African family members? Oh, I think even just regular conversation with... Um, like if I talk to African Americans, I might, you know, be like, "Oh, like they do that on East in East Africa, but I'm from West Africa," or they do that in South Africa, but I'm East, I mean West African. So I think clearing things up um, as you kind of go along, but it's not like a, "Hey, I'm your teacher. Here's a, a lesson." So this like is when they're like, "Oh, can I catch a bus to Nairobi from where your family lives?" I mean, I, I don't <laughs> think I hear. <laughs> I don't think I heard that does happen. Yeah, but I don't think I've had something Somebody's like definitely that. that. <laughs> but um, I think it's like even something as simple as, oh, do they do that in your country? And you're like, oh no, that's their that's relate that's relative to their you know their part of Africa or their their country. Um, I think just being it's like you're being a mini advocate in your own way, like you know just kind of clearing things up. Um, so that's how I've seen myself bridge that gap, I guess. Um, and I think something that I've noticed is that. There is a desire, especially the, I don't know if you would say past decade or so, or even in general, but like there are Amer- African-American friends who um, 
like there's kind of this yearning to want to belong somewhere mm. and they will express like feeling like, yeah, I could just, you know, I want to be able to be like, yeah, my brothers and my sisters and this and that, mm-hmm. but then feeling rejected from Africans. So um, I do have discussions about that with friends and um, I have no problem with them wanting to associate. I just, I think there, once again, there's layers to different issues because I think it's like you can't just take what you want from associating yourself with another culture, you have to either fully immerse yourself or be all out. You know what I mean? Right. Um, And I think on the other side, I guess, for African families understanding American people, I think that also comes in like when you talk about politics, you talk about certain things that they might observe in the U.S. Like you just kind of, you also, as a person who maybe is born here or just grows up African-American, but then has that whole divide of like, oh, I'm African here, but then I'm an African-American here. Like you kind of, you rise to the occasion and you're like an advocate. You have to just be like, well, hey mom, I know such and such did this and I know this is very different from our culture, but I'm pretty sure this is X, Y, and Z is the reason why, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what, this is kind of related, but to you are the biggest misconceptions that you see, you've talked about, you've alluded to it a little bit in the African-American community towards Africans and then in the African community towards African-Americans. Yeah, I think it's interesting because when talking to one of my older sisters, uh, she mentioned like back in the days when she was growing up, it was kind of like a, oh, this, the whole joke of African booty scratcher, stuff like that. You know, silly things. I mean, you're laughing, but it's a reality. Were you ever called an African booty scratcher? Back in the days. The funny thing is, no, because I think there was this thing of they didn't even know you Af- were African. Yeah, African Africans didn't oh, even know I was African, and mm-hmm. Americans didn't know that either. And they would guess Caribbean or Dominican or, or you know something else before African was the thing, or they would even just think you know I'm African American. Um, and it wasn't like I was, I don't know, I, I don't know how one can even project themselves as one, but as they African? just assume, you know, like I, I mean, because I think there's just there's these like notions in people's minds when they think of that like maybe even coming to America type and it's like yeah. really not yeah, that that's exactly what it's see. not yeah. <laughs> and for me I'm like I don't know it yeah you didn't wear like African you know clothes everywhere and yeah and um I taught before I was teaching um and um during one of the they my school wasn't always celebrating Black History Month in the way that they should have um and so when they started the one one time I said I'm gonna wear African clothes to work and I wore it and the kids were just like, wow, like you look so beautiful. And it there was a time I had to discipline the kids in the hallway. Um, and I had them sit in the hallway and I was like kind of like kind of like an African auntie lecturing them in a sense. And then I heard one of my from my coworkers, he was like, Oh, old school meets new school. Like and, uh, and I was standing there, like, you see this woman talking like African clothes head to toe, telling these kids how they should act and stuff like that, you know. It was it but it, it was something that um was really amazing for me because I taught predominantly like a in a predominantly African American community mm-hmm. and a lot of them had not seen I guess the richness that it is to be African mm-hmm. and that month too I had also taken a different um approach to Black History Month where I had um a whole month where we had different both parents and staff members come in to read a story to the class and it had to be by like African American author or about an Af- famous African-American. Um, and we discussed about, we talked about um, Mansa Musa and stuff like that. And I was like, you guys may not see a lot of people in power that look like you, but I and, you know, I was like, we were once like great people and we still are great people, but we just have lost our way a little bit. And we're gonna, we're, you have people who are working hard to make sure that the world sees how America, I mean, amazing we are. And so I think for them being like, they were between the ages of five to seven or five to nine. And it, I think just even seeing that their eyes were lit up because they had never seen black people in such a positive light. You could tell. Mm-hmm. So. so you think that like a misconception mm-hmm. that I'm hearing from you of the African-American community towards Africans are just like not knowing how awesome Africa is. Right. And then I think that it's like not knowing how amazing we are because the rest of the world doesn't necessarily, I mean, when you think about depictions of Africa, it's, what's the National Geographic? Yeah. Things like that, you know? Um, And when you really, but then it's like this thing of, okay, like the dashiki movement thing and, you know, little snippets, you want to grab those and like, be like, oh yeah, it's our thing, you know? Um, But I think you take it in its whole entirety and also, kind of need to just understand like, hmm, where did we come from and where are we headed? Or And also, how do I use 
where the place, like where the place, I, the place where my ancestors have come from, to help guide my future and like also bringing attention and awareness. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't think there's the levels of those dialogues are happening, and I, you know, I'm hoping that they can because I can do my part from where I am and my platform mm-hmm. that I've been given. But the push I think is for other people to do the same. And how do you think you have helped to do this on the other side with like your African community, your African family, helping them understand? What's the biggest misconception there that they have about African-Americans? Um, I don't think it's personally like from my family, but I think even growing up. So like I had Afro-Caribbean friends, like there was a time where I had an Afro-Caribbean friend and I would, it was, it was her and her sister. I would chill with them a lot and we bonded because, you know, I was over at their house a lot. And their grandfather, who was like St. Lucian, he had a very hardcore like St. Lucian accent. It was harder to understand him, but because whenever I heard him talk, it felt like a, a auntie or uncle speaking to me in Creole. It was like, oh, okay, yeah, I understand you. And he noticed that I picked it up more. And Creole um, is, the for those who don't know, it's just, it's a language that's spoken in Sierra Leone. Yeah. Um, so he would, uh, he would speak to me and we were like bonded. I'd be like, I'd, it got to the point where I would come in the house and be like, hey, buddy. And he'd be like, hey, buddy. You know, stuff like that. Um, but I could see himself gravitate towards me more than um, the friend, the mutual friends we shared that were like just African-American. And then there was a time where we were chilling in his house, he was making food and he was like, where are your parents from? Like he just like asked out of curiosity. I was like, yeah, or like, or he asked like something like, were your parents born here? And I was like, no. And he was just like, oh, but his reaction mm-hmm. kind of gave me the, <laughs> and he was like, I knew you were different. Just the way you come in my house is just different. Oh, wow. He said something like that, that made me think, wow, like, you know, and it also showed me like how older generations can value things like that, and they notice in the way children are. And it's not like my African American friends came in the house crazy or anything, mm. but he just saw how I conducted myself in relation to, I guess, my interactions with his um, granddaughters and his house, and you know, knew something was like he was like something something's was a, little a little different, different. <laughs> about this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Um, hmm. I think the misconception sometimes can be like, oh, American children are a certain way or they have like, you know, and and certain way in a negative light. And I think that we need to always approach things as you don't go out assuming everyone's horrible, you know, you need to take things with a grain of salt, watch people for who they are and, you know, judge off the character. That makes sense. So we're just going to have one last question for you. And this is like looking (laughs) towards the future. If you plan on having children, how do you hope they will view their African and african-american cultural identities or experiences okay well um yes i do plan on having kids but uh i think that i while i kind of growing up i was like oh yeah i'm not gonna be like that like you know when i think about oh my my mom was raising me i see myself gravitating towards it again and i feel like i would kind of do those things the whole you're you're african you need to know and i think it's and the thing is i'm proud of being african i accept that and even when I even talk, because there's a lot of like this whole like fetish, I don't know, fetishization around like mixed kids and this, that, and the third. Mm-hmm. And even if they hear Sierra Leone and Senegal, because a lot of people don't know those countries, they're like, oh, that sounds exotic. That's the reaction I get. And I'm like, it's really not that serious, but um, it's like seeing how the world kind of is. I don't know if it's just a natural reaction where I'm kind of like, not necessarily retaliating from it, but like it's just. Like, I love pieces of me. Like, I tell, like, if I am talking to someone who tends to be a lot of complexion or from a different culture, I'm like, oh, I want my baby to look like me. I want my baby to have my hair. I want my baby to have my curls, you know, things like that, you know. And it's like those conversations I have, like, may- reinforcing me that, like, hey, you really do love who you are. You're not trying to, like, stray away from, you know, where there are some people who I know they have an identity crisis where they don't know which so- social circle to work uh, to be in or to associate with but personally for me I love being African I love also being African-American in the United States because when I say that um there's the title African-American I know that even there are people who are there are there are people who consider themselves more so black than African-American um and I proudly say I'm African-American I'm like well my parents came from there I have no problem with associating myself with it and African is not a derogatory term you know Mm -hmm. um so when I when I raise my kids, I'm going to be like, this is your path. This is your, your, these are, this is your family. This is your family history. Like this is important to me. It should be important to you because we came from a lot of things and it's important that they know, you know this so that you can also embrace this and 
you know, foster this with your kids too in the future because you can't this you can't separate from your history. You can't separate from your past. The things you can do is you can make sure you make better choices than people in your past have. But other than that, your culture, the the history that you have, like it's it's you. And all you and if you love yourself and even if they're in that, you know, journey of loving themselves, you need to love yourself and understand that this is where we came and like and if people don't accept you for who you are and if people don't embrace the cultures that make you who you are, then they got to go. <laughs> but <laughs> Are you going to teach your kids how to speak Creole? So here's the thing about Creole. Um, I don't speak it. I understand it fully. Ah, and and that's some oh, that's another thing about having kids when you're when they're spaced out cuz my mom had me and my siblings when when we're like all super spaced out. She was like my older sister knew her tribal language and she knew Creole. I mean, but she knew my mother's tribal language and Creole. And as it, we went down, like my other sister had to kind of like seek out the learning Creole part and I grew up in the house hearing it but never was asked to like respond in it per se. Mm -hmm. So I totally understand it. My mom can talk to you. anybody in the community can talk to me. And I'm like, oh yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. But I think even just the way as I've grown up, learned Spanish and things like that, and even a little Hindi, it's mm -hmm. just like, I don't like how my personal accent sounds in Creole. So I like kind of, it deters me. To. Yeah, it deters me away from trying to speak. I'm sure it, it doesn't sound that. Bad. I think you should take but art what I, from but, another a fellow Sierra Leonean, Idris Elba. He has a song, and uh, in the song, uh, he speaks. He's speaking Creole in the song, and it's it's really interesting because it's I guess it's pretty bad. And then at a certain point, he has a line in the song where he says, "They say my Creole is ugly." I guess the equivalent of that. Mm -hmm. um, they say my Creole iwawolek. Mm. So you know, take heart from that. It doesn't funny, matter. And you know what the funny thing is? I feel like my Creole is better. If like somebody, if an actual, if a person who speaks Creole makes a song and I mm. sing the song, okay, it sounds great because I'm just singing what they're saying. But you can't. You but can't as far as it on formulating sentences and putting in Creole, that's the difficult part. You know, I know what it should sound like, uh -huh. but I can't say it myself. I think that's like, a normal part of language. Yeah. Like, but there yeah. are a lot of people who can respond and their parents, like, you know, they grow they up hearing talking. it and they can respond to their parents, but they can't create it. That's just, that's normal. Yeah. So for my kids, I, 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 my, my plan is to tell everybody in the family, choose one language they know and have my kid around them a lot to like pick up things. So oh, that's, a good yeah, one. that's, that's what I would like to do. So my mom is going to have to go back to her <laughs> tribal <laughs> and, and Creole. She has a lot of work. Yeah, exactly. But she'll love it. Cause you good know, luck. be grandkids. <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Christiana, for coming on the show and sharing your experiences with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. <laughs> That's our show for today. Like what you heard? I have an idea on a topic you'd like African.American to discuss. Would you potentially like to be featured in our spotlight section? Let us know. You can email us at African.American spelled out. African.American at gmail.com. See you later. Yeah. Uh -huh. oh, yeah. That's right. Per usual. <laughs>